Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah, we've grown up with, with uh, TV shows like uh, Mr. Rogers and all those things, recognizing we are not alone in this world. We are together. And uh, I want to kind of present to you just a few of the, of the more famous TV uh, couples or individuals through the years. And I want to ask you then for the name of their neighbor. See if you can catch who their neighbor is. All right. The first one is, is Dennis the Menace. Mr. Wilson. All right. Do we have my pictures? There we go, Dennis. We all know him, that, that, that crafty little kid. And his neighbor was Mr. Wilson. So the next slide. We'll catch up. There we go. How about this couple? Uh, Darren and Samantha Stevens would bewitched. Huh? Gladys Kravitz. Okay, that's right. Who, who are they? They're Abner. Can't forget him either. Abner and Gladys Kravitz. How about if we were to turn on our TV shows to that wonderful show called Seinfeld? Do you remember who, uh, who his name? Who? Everybody remembers Kramer, of course. All right. How can anybody forget Cosmo, right? All right. So we move back a little bit further behind before Kramer and all that. We see Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> That's right. There they are. Everybody needs a neighbor like that, don't they? Lenny and Squiggy. Let's go back in time a little bit further, and we'll go visit the Flintstones, remember? Yeah. Who were their neighbors? Betty and Barney Rubble. That's right, right. And, and of course, I love Lucy. You love Lucy. Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. Do you remember their neighbors? Fred and Ethel Mertz, of course, all right? And then there is Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? Now, do you remember his neighbor? We really don't have a picture of him, so we just have to deal with that for right now. You know, it's not hard for us to tell the names of some of these famous TV families and who their neighbors were. But in our text today, we find a lawyer who is struggling with the answer to who is my neighbor. And one study I read implied that the question of who your neighbor is was a hot topic in Jesus' day. Matter of fact, the law commanded that Israelites were to, uh, if they weren't religious as they were, they, there was, uh, they were commanded to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, as all good legalists do, this lawyer wants to know, who is my neighbor? In other words, what he's asking is, who am I supposed to love and who don't I have to love as my neighbor? And so he asked Jesus this, this question, and so you have to figure out really what does it mean by neighbor? Now, in the typical Jewish understanding of what a neighbor was, it meant the neighbor was one who was near you or a fellow Jew for them. But men like this teacher of the law, they, they tended to reject people who were not religious as they were, and there was even a group of people that lived in a community called Qumran. It was a sect of the Jewish faith. And if you were not a part of their community, you weren't their neighbor, and they didn't have to love you. And so they, they, they began to draw this circle a little bit more tighter and tighter around them. And this man was wanting Jesus to draw a circle around him as to really who were 
his neighbors. And he wanted Jesus to explain to him who is in and who is out. And so Jesus begins to tell him this story. And we find this story in the book of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. All right, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you need to spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go. And do likewise. I want to retell the story for you in a little bit that might make more sense to us today, that we have an ability to understand it. And, and so there was once a man from Union, and he went down to St. Louis to spend the weekend at one of its finest hotels there. And while he was there, he decided that he wanted to go visit the Arch, and he was going to eat at some of St. Louis's famous restaurants on the hill. You, you, you see that, and maybe, it wasn't this time of year, but maybe he was going to catch a Cardinals game. One night he decided to take a walk through North City. Uh-oh, <laughs> Uh-oh. That's, I heard that. And he decided he was going to walk through North City, and he came upon a gang lurking in the alleyway there, and, and they beat him up. They took all of his money, and they, they left his crumpled body there in the street in the alley to die and to bleed to death on the sidewalk. Well, along came a preacher who was on his way to Bible study. And this preacher saw that man lying there, and 
but he was in a hurry. And besides, he didn't want to bloody his fine new suit that he was wearing. And he doesn't have his cell phone with him, so he thought he'd be determined to get to church as quickly as he could. And from there, he would call 911 and send somebody back to go help him and take care of that. And so he walks away. Then comes along a Sunday school teacher. And that teacher passes by too. He knows this part of town is dangerous. And so he sees when this man is bleeding and he's laying there beaten up on the sidewalk. He's afraid whoever beat him up might still be in the area. And so he walks a little bit faster and he goes on quickly. Then it comes along a man who is not a churchgoer at all. He knows this part of town is dangerous. Matter of fact, he owns a local bar there in that part of town, and, and, and he's an atheist, and if that weren't enough, he regularly supports the Communist of America Society. But he sees this man lying there on the sidewalk, helpless and bleeding, and for some reason he is overcome with pity. And, and he decides that he's going to take this man, put him in his car, and he sees that he's bleeding, and he gently places him back in the seat of his car. He's not worried about the blood that he's getting on his clothes. He's not worried about the blood that's going to be staining his seats. He just wants to get this man to the ER as quickly as possible. And he discovers that this man has no money, and so he pays the hospital bill there himself, and he offers to pay all the other expenses that this man might incur while he is in the hospital. So he gives the hospital medical staff his phone number, and he tells them that they can contact him if there is anything else that this individual might need while he is in their care. So now which of these three is this man's neighbor? You see, that's the kind of story that Jesus likes to tell. He, he likes to tell stories that, that get us to an understanding of where we are personally. And, and this, this teacher of the law, he is really introducing to him who his neighbor is, that really his neighbor is anybody that has a need. And when you have the opportunity to meet that need, you should. You see, no one, we would say, would ever see a person in need and just walk by, would they? I mean, no one ever acts like that, do they? Back in 1985, Carolyn Cooley of Sarasota, Florida, she was taking her two daughters with her to church that Sunday. And she was disgusted when she saw there this unkept disgusting, smelly, rude man laying sprawled out there with beer bottles and cigarettes and who knows what else right there underneath that palm tree in front of the church building. His shoes had holes in him. His battered hat was pulled down over his eyes so you really couldn't get to see who he was. And He was surrounded there by all this filth and the beer cans. How dare he desecrate her church this way? I mean, this was a holy property. But she wasn't the only one who came by and was offended by this vagrant and his behavior. But her indignation dissolved into tears when that bomb walked into their church and walked up to the platform and began to preach that Sunday's sermon. You see, that bum who was there, that vagrant, was the church's 
preacher, Neville Grit. He had dressed like a bum. He had stationed himself outside of his church building to draw attention to those who were a part of his congregation that he might see how they react to the things that he has seen taking place all over the city of Sarasota. You see, our relationship with Jesus Christ is tied directly with the relationship with those around us. And that's what Jesus is telling us. In our message this morning, we're going to examine the question, how do I love my neighbor? Now, why would people behave like that? Why would they not love their neighbor as themselves? I began thinking about this, and I thought of of three different reasons why people might not treat others as neighborly. First off, they don't think of people like these as being their neighbors. And the story of the Good Samaritan Neither the priest nor the Levite know who this man is, but neither did the Samaritan. Ray Pritchard, in his website, uh, Keep Believing, he mentions a story that happened several years ago. In it, a news report told about an incident concerning a crew who were excavating a piece of land. And when the hole they were digging caved in, it began trapping a bunch of that crew down below. And so a crowd began to gather just watching what was going on. And one of the bystanders was there looking at all of this when he heard a woman in a nearby house yell out to him, Jim, your brother's in that hole. Well, he immediately took off his coat. He began digging as frantically as he could to get down in there. And it makes us ask this question, why would he do that? I mean, what changed his mind from being a bystander to not caring at all about his own safety to rescue somebody in that pit? The difference, I think, is this. He knew somebody in that pit. He knew somebody that had been caved in upon, and and it made a difference to him, rather than just watching as if he had no care or concern. You see, it helps us define our neighbor the way that God does. In the book of Leviticus, in the Old Testament, a lot of the laws define how we should live and who we should treat, you know, certain ways. But in Leviticus 19, it, it describes your neighbor, in verse 18, as one of your people. And it goes on in verse 34, it is also not only one of your people, but it is also the stranger who sojourns in your land. It's anybody that you're around, in other words, and it helps us to understand that our neighbor could be any and everyone that we come in contact with, family, friend, or foe. Second reason, I think, is this. A lot of people are afraid that they're going to be taken advantage of if they stop. One of the many comments I've heard from people about giving to the poor is the fear that the person that they're trying to help is only going to use that money for drugs or alcohol or for some unsavory lifestyle. My younger years in ministry, while I was in Wood River, the first Christian church there, a man came into our our church, and and, uh, I was in there meeting with one of our elders, Dean Zumwalt, and as he came in, obviously he had not showered for quite a while. Uh, He was very much uh, a mess in his clothing and and his breath. You could tell that there had been alcohol uh, that he had been consuming. 
And he came in and he saw Dean and myself and he asked if he could have some money. He needed some help. And Dean reached into his pocket, he pulled out his wallet, and he gave him a $20 bill. The man took the money and he left. I thought, that's interesting. And, and so I asked Dean why he did that. He said, well, that man will probably use that money to buy alcohol or drugs. You're, you're, but he's, and he was probably right. And I said, so why did you give him the money? And Dean said these words to me. He says, I had the money to give, so I gave. And I guess that's really what Jesus wants to understand. When we have the opportunity to help, to give, to serve, we should do that. It doesn't matter what they're going to do with it. The matter is, what are you going to do when you're asked? As I've grown older and more experienced in ministry, I think I've also discovered that uh, there is a value in not giving money, but meeting their specific needs. See, the notice the Samaritan didn't give the beaten man some money. He just didn't toss it down to him and say, well, here, take care of yourself. He took care of the man, took him in, and then he paid his bills, and then he gave the innkeeper money to meet this man's needs. When we try to help the poor, there are times we don't have to give them cash in order to help them. But nevertheless, God regards this command to love our neighbors as ourselves as so important that it's even mentioned as the royal law in Scripture. Listen to what it says in James chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. And in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17, it says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God even talks about fasting as a way to free up money to help the poor. Now we know what fasting is. That's when we deny ourselves food to eat for another benefit. Well, the benefit here is to deny ourselves the food to eat so that we can have somebody else have their needs met. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 8. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You see, God takes this loving your neighbor thing very seriously. Matter of fact, He takes it so serious that when we do it, he wants to reward us. So first people don't love their neighbor because they don't see them as their, their real neighbors. And the second reason is because they're afraid that they might be taken advantage of if they try to help. The third reason, I think, is this. They don't love their neighbors as they should because we're selfish. 
I mean, there are times that I've, I've heard quote, people quote this passage of Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. But what if you don't love yourself? Then I don't have to love them either, do I? You see, it sounds good in a world consumed with loving themselves, doesn't it? But it's not true. Jesus did not say, love yourself so that you can love your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible simply assumes that you love yourself because you feed it and you take care of it daily. You meet its needs. You allow it to have rest and sleep and you do things to, 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 to quench its hunger and its thirst because you love it. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 through 30, husbands are told these words. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. But the question still remains, well, aren't there people who really don't love themselves? Well, yes and no. I mean, there are people who are depressed, and in their depression they have a, a poor self-image of who they are, and they don't, they don't see why anybody else would love them, so why should they love themselves? You see, the problem is that they don't love themselves. The problem is that they've got their priorities kind of out of whack. They have this poor self-image because they are self-centered, and they don't see themselves measuring up to the standards of other people around them. And I can't be like them, and I can't be like them, and so woe is me. If a person wants to heal their poor self-image, the Bible has a foolproof way to deal with that. And it's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's like a doctor's prescription, and I guarantee that if you do it, God promises and he prescribes that if you love others you'll love yourself as well back in 1985 bernard rimland who was the director of the institute for child behavior research did a study on happiness and this is what his study revealed to him among other things he found that the happiest people are those who help others So it tends to let me know that if, if I have an issue with loving myself, pouring my life into the people around me and helping other people will enable me to, one, begin to love myself. And I'll be happy. It's not about me then. Really, it's about what I can do for others. Now, earlier in this sermon, I told you the story about Carolyn Cooley as she took her daughters into church that morning and met uh, this bedraggled preacher that had been out there as a bum. But she was so overcome with shame by what this experience did within her. She said that her attitude changed. And back in 1985, she and her husband, Ray, decided that they would scrape together whatever money that they could. And they rented a house in Sarasota, Florida. They used it as a home for homeless. And they called it the Good Samaritan House. And in 2001... 
the Cooleys received one of Florida's Points of Light awards and reaching out to the homeless there. The Cooleys found a new sense of self-value and worth before God. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. But there's one more thought I want to leave with you this morning. Something that makes me stop and really consider really what happens next. Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan. The priest and the Levite, they saw the man. They, they saw that he had been beaten up. He was bleeding. He was there on the side of the road dying, and they passed by on the other side. They couldn't be bothered by this man's tragedy, but the Samaritan, he was filled with compassion, and he stopped, and he helped this man in trouble. I mean, that's the story that Jesus tells but we're not for sure or certain exactly how long it was. It could have been days or a few weeks later. Jesus, he is stripped of his clothes. He is beaten. And he is left hanging by the side of a road for all to go by and to see him. And he's left there to die on a cross. But he became the victim intentionally. He allowed himself to be beaten, to be stripped, to be ridiculed, and to be hung upon a cross for you and for me. You see, he did it willingly. He suffered and he died on that cross for us. He did it because he refused to walk on by when he saw us in our time of need. And he had compassion on us. And he shed tears for us. And now he holds out his hands that are nail scarred. And it brings us peace. And it brings us hope. And it brings us no greater love than this. Than one would lay down his life for his friends. Loving your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're called to do. And I pray that you do that. I pray it makes a difference in your life so that you don't walk on by anymore when you see people that are in need. That you stop. And they give of what you have and your capability to give. And love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we want to be different in this world. We want to be people who love others with an abandon that we've never really known before. We want to be someone who loves them just as much as we love ourselves, that we would do unto them as we would desire others to do unto us. And Father, we would give because we have the resources to give. And that we would be generous in love and in life as we learn to continue to love in any language. And it's in Jesus' name.